Greetings, Contacast listeners. This Contacast was recorded uh, a couple of days before the coronavirus blew up into the global pandemic, uh, with all the political, social, and economic consequences it now clearly has. But it was recorded uh, a couple of days after Crash Monday. Uh, so we do discuss coronavirus. Uh, and the shock that it's presenting to the world system. So please do listen. But in coming weeks, we're going to have a lot more in-depth discussion, including with some uh, guests, um, about everything that's going on in the world system and nationally and locally, uh, where, of course, in the UK, uh, the, the British government and the Scottish government have diverged from the global approach to containing uh, the virus. So we're expecting the next few weeks and months to be of really huge uh, historical consequence. So please do enjoy uh, our opening uh, discussion on the uh, coronavirus and some other stuff that's been going on. And we look forward to bringing you those podcasts uh, in the coming days, weeks and months. Welcome to this week's Contracast. My name is Cat Low Energy Boyd. I'm joined by my co-host David Existential Crisis Jameson. How's it going? Well, you got low, low energy. Low yeah. energy. I'm, I feel I'm violently depressed right now, but you know, mm-hmm. these are not symptoms of the coronavirus. <laughs> so yeah, but rather of the uh, the historical period. Oh, yeah, don't start in the bloody historical period. Um, one thing we can't talk about in the historical period is... The historic trial. The historic trial of uh, Alex Salmond. Yeah, we can't really say anything about it. No. But what I will say about it is, did you see the uh, the Sunday Herald piece? Oh. The trailer piece? I don't know if our darling angel listeners have seen the piece that was in the Sunday Herald and quickly removed, I believe. Yeah, this was uh, uh, Neil Mackay's article uh, ahead of the trial. Um, Well, I I haven't been able to read it because it's been taken down, but I gather that um, it's about um, the the capacity of major trials to be historical turning points or something like that. Um, but it wasn't so but much. I have seen. I've not read it either, but I have seen a picture of the like. It's actually a picture in a newspaper. It's not a screenshot or anything. And I believe that the article <laughs> was uh, illustrated with a series of pictures, a rather fetching montage featuring Fred and Rosemary West, Henley mm. <laughs> and Brady. Yeah. Peter Sutcliffe, Charles Manson, and is that Dennis Nielsen? Which that one's he again? Dennis Nielsen. He was the guy in London that flushed the body parts down the toilet. But he was also a trade union rep. And a very good one at that, I heard. Seriously, he used to work in the Social Security office. He's on the CPSA. So, uh, right, so a gallery, a, a literal rogues gallery there. And who else was in the Pantheon that got it into trouble? There was a picture of James Bulger. Yeah, and his killers. 
Yeah. That's a harrowing picture. I can't... It's sort of before my recollections, the whole Bulger case. I know that it became a major um, sort of moral panic around it because it was a small child who was murdered by two children only a little older. Is that right? Yeah, like part of the the big panic, because I do remember that really well. Mm. Um, obviously, being a few years your senior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do remember that really well. And a lot of the panic about it was to do with um, like violent video games, I think, especially violent films. Especially Chucky. Do you remember the Child's Play? Ah, uh, yes. Like the evil yeah. doll. Yeah. And there being like a really big panic about um, children seeing these things and that causing them to have violent tendencies, which I've always been really sceptical of. There's like 12 pictures like all together. I'm showing David the picture now. All oh, right, they are actually like, separate. Yeah, photographs, but right? I mean, there is a picture. There's a picture of the two boys side leading by him side. away. Yeah, there is like a, a a image from the CCTV cameras. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who else is there? Harvey Weinstein's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I don't really. I don't. I don't really know what. I can't imagine what the thread is that draw draws all these people together. I mean, like I say, I gather that it was about famous trials, but since we can't access the text, all we know is that it was a, a trailer piece to the to the to the Salmon trial. Yeah, the text says the trial of Alex Salmon is likely to resonate beyond the courtroom, but it is not the first. We look back at a few great trials from the past. <laughs> Which, while in no way connected to next week's events, <laughs> oh God, Jesus, had huge, uh, wider significance. I mean, I do you know it. It looks a, a little bit like one of those stories that you would get in, you know, there's really sick women's magazines that are called like your chat or take a break yeah or have a cuppa Are these... but then it's all like it's yeah. all like stories of like abuse and, and yeah, yeah violence and murder and like yeah i don't know but... i find those fat i find women's magazines fascinating in general but I, I find those ones fascinating where it's like it's it's for like a woman to read on a lunch break, right? So on the outside, it looks like it's just a normal, glossy women's magazine. In the inside, it's non-stop murder. Yeah, I mean, that's what these magazines are like. My mum used to read um, one called Bella, which is definitely, like, it's the, less, it's the least harrowing. But there was always, like, the themes were, like, so there was always a story about incest. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always a story about domestic violence. And there was always a story about, like medical interventions gone wrong like a woman who like went in for a routine like appendix removal and it ended up with like no bowel or something mm. I mean it was always like some really really tragic when, harrowing stuff even the more mainstream ones like closer and all that kind of stuff whenever I'm in Tesco I like to go over and have a little inspect of them and the front covers are always about how uh um what is it, Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, and, and Jennifer Aniston. The supposed love triangle between those three has covered those magazines for like 15 years. 
That doesn't, that shouldn't surprise you. I mean, the Daily Express has been dining out on the death of Princess Diana since the day that it happened. I mean, the fascinating. UFO sightings and the death of Princess Diana is the Daily Express's fair. And to see these front pages, you'd think these people had the most dramatic lives ever. Because it's always like Jennifer Aniston has finally had enough. She's totally collapsed and all this kind of stuff. These ghoulish front covers. No magazine will be as fascinating to me as the old National Enquirer. I know nothing about it. You do. You know the National Enquirer. It looks like this is like the most trashy of trashies. It's always like <laughs> um, JFK, not really dead. Anna Nicole Smith, back from the grave, had an affair with JFK. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. really like... Out there conspiracies. Out there stuff. And, yeah. But... Um, so they, they trade on gossip and their recent big intervention into American political life was that they were the ones that had the pictures of Jeff Bezos's penis. Do you remember this? Do you not remember this? Like Something about how Jeff Bezos had obviously sent a like, sexy nude to his girlfriend. He's married, right? But he sent it to his girlfriend. And her brother is a Trump supporter and somehow got hold of the picture and sold it to the National Enquirer and they were the National Enquirer were holding Jeff Bezos to ransom. Oh my god. Do you not remember any of this? No. no I mean this is the sort of crap that I read on the internet. <laughs> what a world. Anyway, so this you know, from from the quality press to the uh, the Sunday Herald, um so that article was pulled and it's all gone very quiet because the the family of Jamie Bulger and the charity that was established to preserve his memory and so forth, they all complained about the appearance of this picture in this article, in this rogues gallery uh, of various criminal elements. But that's because I think they put a picture of like the wee boy who's a victim next to all these killers. Like I don't know. I See, this is the thing, David. I'm off Twitter, so I don't really know what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm getting this information second, third hand mm-hmm. through the WhatsApp chats. Mm-hmm. So, so um, no matter how diabolical our intervention into the trial will eventually be, it can't be that bad. But here's, the, here's the thing that I found mad about that. Everyone in Scotland knows don't talk about the trial, right? Yeah. You know, the, the, the rules surrounding it are widely publicised and so on. And then when the country's leading newspapers does that. Very strange. I don't really understand why that happened, but... Odd behaviour. Yeah. I am uh, I was going to say that part of my problem with being off Twitter is that I'm now just in the depths of Reddit. Uh-huh. So if anyone has any Reddit suggestions, any hot Reddit tips that I can use to waste my... The remaining years of my life mm-hmm. on Reddit, then. And uh, you were saying that there's no uh, Reddits for the trial. Oh no, no, no! I couldn't find nothing. See, that's that's. I might just not know how to use it properly. Is right? Reddit? Is your average Reddit person like a teenage boy? Mm, no, I don't think so. It's got quite a broad audience. Right. But like, I looked up salmons, and there wasn't really anything. There was a couple of forums on, like, there were a couple of subreddits that are about, like, Scotland or Scottish politics, but there isn't really any chat on it. Right, okay, okay. What there is plenty of news out there about, though, coronavirus. Oh! (laughs) 
Which I think, I mean, this week has actually become exciting, though, because it's drawing in wider problems. Crash Monday, that's what they're calling it. The market's collapsed, which was quite fascinating to watch. And yet, at the same time, um, it's like you're used to it. Mm, You know, it's it's hard to remember market stability. Yeah, I mean... I think that that's true because we've never really, like, our generation and younger than us have never really known a sustained period of stability like that. Um, like, as Friends of the Pod Fee mm. said um, to like, a mutual pal of ours, she was like, Oh, it's a real shame that you missed the 80s and 90s where we did uh, recycling because it was fun and cute and we cared about the pandas, not because there was an impending global disaster yeah, <laughs> on yeah. the cards. Which, actually, you know, recycling can't help by this point. We're just doing no, it, it just, a it, doomed sense it just, of duty. It like, just sort of like helps you feel like marginally less anxious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, although I did think I accidentally put a coffee cup and the glass bin to the mm-hmm. so sorry Claire. <laughs> yeah. Um but are you are you scared of the the looming pandemic? I think do you remember we had this conversation on the pod not that long ago and we talked about that um do you remember that kit that was being tweeted out there was a picture of like a rucksack like preparedness week. Um, do you remember that? Not really. You have brain damage. <laughs> there was a tweet that was going round from like local councils and local authorities that was a picture of a rucksack as part of preparedness week. I do distantly remember this. What and did it, it have in it? And it had like a flashlight, water, emergency supplies, a battery pack, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that and I said it was thrilling. Mm. And again, with the coronavirus, I find it all really quite thrilling yeah my theory about this is is that basically we have grown up with such a high degree of instability especially i think people who are our age round about like so people in the west round about our age who are in their mid to early teens at the time of september the 11th mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have a high level of something bad is going to happen mm-hmm. so like there's always a low level, oh, something bad's going to happen. Right. Everything is fear. You can see it like, so like 2008 happened, like bad stuff. Austerity is happening, but yet it never really, austerity is slow and crushing. Mm. Same with Brexit. Do you know what I mean? It's all build up, build up to this one day and it's going to be disaster the day that we leave and kind of nothing really happens. So it's like everything is always building up to a big crescendo and the apocalypse never comes. Mm-hmm. But now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. people think, shit, we might actually be getting the payoff now. Mm-hmm. Like, this might be it. This might be the climax, the nadir of all our anxieties packaged up in this nice little virus mm. that's going to infect 80% of the population. Yeah. I think there's definitely a sense of, oh, and it's finally here. Mm. And, and, uh, Again, it's very spirit of the age that it's uh, that it's a virus like this. I mean, this is real kind of Hollywood movie type mm. stuff. You know, um, endless horror films about zombies. They're always about viruses now, um, which is an interesting change because historically 
that's not where zombies came mm. from. I know it's always a disease, whereas in the past it was uh, something supernatural. Mm. Um, but there's been, I mean, uh, so many disaster films, comets, uh, climate change, that mm. stupid film 2012 and so on. Oh my God, 2012. Oh, what garbage. a movie. Um, Awful. Um <laughs> Armageddon, do you remember that one with uh, Bruce Willis? Never seen it. No? Never seen it. It's, yeah. t- it's totally brain dead. Um, but I mean, there's been more and more on these of these films uh, as years go on. So there's definitely, it's in the zeitgeist, that, that feeling of permanent foreboding. Hmm. Um, that feeling of sort of generalised anxiety. That there's, there's always a sword of Damocles dangling. And I think you're right that once the threat... Threats are always more frightening before you can see them. Hmm. Once something actually appears before you, it's more manageable in some way. Of course. It's like every horror movie I've ever seen. As soon as you're able to eyeball the monster, like, the the dread is... Yeah, that's the end of the film, really. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so, like, it's always, like, what is unseen? And, like, because there's nothing darker than your own imagination. Mm Mm-hmm. As soon as you see the monster and how it's constructed and however it appears, it might be frightening, yes, but it's that unknown that's actually like the pinnacle of your fear. And now we're about to be able to look the apocalypse like mm-hmm. head on. And I find that whole, that whole thing quite thrilling. Mm. Have you been panic buying? No, I haven't bought a single hand gel or well done did you have a thing about that well yeah but that's the i mean this is the thing i partly don't want to start because that's how you lose control of it you know what i mean some of the stories about people stealing hand sanitizer and so on are fucking hilarious um Um, there's a news international um i kind of love it that it's there as well um they'd fitted these hand sanitizers around their building and found that not only were people robbing the hand sanitizers, I mean, some journalists were robbing the hand sanitizers, <laughs> right? But also that they were coming in with their own bottles and filling it up. Um, I mean, that's... It's not terribly surprising, really. And no. I love it that, that News International had to send a circular email complaining about this and telling people to stop it. I thought, I thought you know, you've spent decades fostering a hyper-competitive survivalist mindset. <laughs> You've been making these poor people churn that out day after day. Um, so yeah. Chickens, home, roost. Yeah. Mm-mm. And I think that um, the global economy is going to have serious trouble managing that mentality that it's created. Managing yeah. that doom-laden, hyper-competitive, survivalist mentality. That's what's spooking the markets more than anything, I think. Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, it indicates two things one which is like the instability and how impractical capitalism is as a mode of production Mm. like completely unstable like when things like this happen and secondly that western democracy is not fit to contain a crisis Mm -hmm. it's not fit to contain any type of pandemic because what you have is people cutting about, thinking that, you know, it's not going to happen to me, probably infected, infecting other people. Like, people don't have the discipline to to stay home. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Be mm-hmm. regimented, like, follow the orders. Whereas in 
China, they just issue a decree and it's done. Reported uh, uh, new cases in China have declined, I think, for several days in a row now. And it kind of brings back to mind that thing we were talking about um, once we'd both come back from Asia. That, that there's that haunting thing of um, there's a certain sense in which dictatorship works. <laughs> like, and it's just very the rules are very clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and um, like it, it's it's a it's a worry in terms of like uh, the mounting impacts of something like climate change. That there's going to be more and more stuff that um, sort of shocks society out of its present routines, and that societies which are much better adapted to deal with that sort of thing. At the moment, at least, it seems like our, our uh, systems like China, for example. Who knows? Who knows if they'll be more seriously challenged by another manifestation of this. But aye, it's totally fascinating. And the other thing is, world economy in a fucking pathetic state to face something like this. Because the whole system's kept going with like cheap money. Uh, and ever lowering interest rates, so central banks have nothing left to resort to to solve the problem. Like they're so vulnerable, um, and it just, like I say, it just under un- underlines we live in this debt fueled, low low growth, fuck all productivity global economy, and we're so used to it. Yeah. So used to it. And we also have like a massive culture of presenteeism in workplaces mm-hmm. when like people are genuinely ill mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. don't stay off because the measures that their company or employer has are so punitive that they just turn up for work anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like we have a culture of that in Britain. Yeah. It's undeniable. Like we're like, actually, even though the stereotype says that, you know, Brits love a sick day. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, son. Um, <laughs> but it's actually the opposite. There's loads of presenteeism. So people come into work when they're feeling a bit under the weather and then they infect other co-workers and that is going to drive coronavirus. Yeah, and the, the most dangerous thing about that is, of course, the people who are most likely to do that are people on lower wages, just like everyone, almost everyone who works in care is on a lower wage. Do you know what I mean? And that so they're they're dealing with people who are the most likely to yeah. to to get it as worse or even to die from it. So I, but, I have panic bought. Yeah, Did I tell you this on the pod last week. Are you the, are you one of these people who's bought all the toilet roll? Nah, it's not a shitting disease. I know. I don't. I'm not entirely sure. I think that's people about. think that they're going to be quarantined for a long time, but even then, the amount of toilet people paper that people are buying, I'm like. What, do you have an issue? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, do you remember that thing that there's that Zizek thing where he talks about... Ideology and toilets. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, British people must have fucking terror of running out of toilet paper <laughs> and having to find an alternative <laughs> means. <laughs> because it's the first thing everyone's going for. No one's thought to buy, you know, fucking water. <laughs> like that. It's just get the ball roll. Um, I bought... Um, so this was maybe this is well before like panic buying because I've just been like it sort of because I've been having quite high peaks of anxiety I thought maybe my anxiety will subside if I panic buy mm-hmm. ahead of time 
So I bought like this was what three weeks ago or something. I don't even know. I think there was like one case in the UK, but I thought mm, I can see the way that this is going. So I bought three hand sanitizer gels, mm-hmm. uh, a kilogram of pasta, um, forty eight packets of cat food, <laughs> and I do have a cat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Some tins of Heinz baked beans, mm. some tins of spaghetti, um, and some tins of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. That seems fine to me. It's all relatively rational, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the key with panic buying <laughs> <laughs> is not to buy stuff you're never going to use. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, don't buy masks. Although... It's quite a cool aesthetic. Nothing it's very dystopian. Says 2020, yeah. like a mask. <laughs> like people cutting about in a hazmat suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've yet to uh, to panic buy anything. But perhaps I will just to get in the spirit of it. I had a very exciting week. Hang on, not last, not last weekend, but the weekend before. It was a very interesting oh, encounter. I know what this is. Mm. This is your encounter with the other virus of the humankind mm-hmm. <laughs> Alistair Campbell Alistair Campbell yeah who you met in a restaurant on the south side I believe I did in um, yeah in an Italian restaurant in the south side um, where uh, I found out because I went on his Twitter the next day he had been at, he's in, he was in Scotland to, to do some sort of motivational type speaking about leadership he's got a book out about leadership Christ. Who the fuck's booking him? I think it was something like uh, SFA or something like that. Can I, I just know. say, like, that whole circuit of leadership and motivation is a cash cow. That's a, See yeah. if you can write, like, a semi-decent book. By decent, I mean, like, using full sentences on leadership and motivation. You could cash in the dollars. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's, a, it's a major, major grift. It is um, a con. Yeah. Um, anyway, so tell me what happened. I actually haven't heard this story, so I do want to know what happened with Alistair Campbell. So I saw him coming in. and uh, Who were you with in the restaurant? My partner, partner and her family. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> Was it a special occasion? Um, not particularly. We see them quite often, so... I mean, every time's special, just in case they're listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it was me, my partner, her parents, uh, her sister, and her sister's partner, right? But we, it was, it would have been a lot more awkward were we not leaving as he was coming in. Ah. And uh, so I saw him coming in. I went back in, hunted around for him. Um was directed to his table where uh, I, I duly harangued him with just the stuff that came to mind, basically. What sort of thing did you say? Well, uh, you know, the the usual patter and this stuff, war criminal, Iraq, <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? It's you, You've only... I didn't know how long it would be before it was slide tackled or whatever, mm-hmm. so you've just got to get the, the, the classics in, as it were. I think I did get to elaborate a little bit on how Islamic State was partly his fault as well. Um, and he just sat through the whole thing going, 
Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? The next day, he tweeted that I was in serious danger of getting battered by his pal, Angus, who's six foot six. But the two guys who were sitting at the table with him when I was there were just staring at the table, looking a bit embarrassed. Um, I'm trying to find the tweet now. So the next, so the next day, he, I think he went for a run through Queens Park, which is right near where I live, and he went by the Halabja tree, uh, which of course is the tree commemorating the uh, attack on Halabja by the Ba'athist regime in Iraq at the end of the Iraq-Iran War and was subsequently used by Campbell and his new Labour goons uh, and ghouls Mm. to uh, add justification to the Iraq War um, to kind of use it as a sort of human shield and and tales of the suffering of that massacre as... repurposed propaganda for their war uh, against Iraq in 2003. Um, so he then just did this again, which I just thought was totally pathetic uh, to, to, to use that tragedy again to defend himself personally from accusations about the war. Um, but he also said in that tweet that I was a wannabe George Galloway which, Which little does he know? <laughs> um, and then, oh man, all these morons underneath were sort of like typical George Galloway. I know. Everyone actually thought that George Galloway had confronted him. And, but and they had an altercation at some point, didn't they? On maybe like street altercation, something uh, like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, they de- definitely didn't like each other. I mean, there were a lot of run-ins. So yeah, I don't know if people actually thought it was actually George Galloway. It seems to be that way, but... Uh, I don't know. I like to think it was partly the the mustache, because people forget now that George Galloway at his peak had a very handsome mustache. But in any case, yeah. Uh, here it's here. Right. Alistair Campbell. So blah blah blah. Queens Park, Glasgow. Out for a run. Came across the Halabja tree. Timely, given the wannabe George Galloway who interrupted my dinner with relatives last night to yell abuse at me and tell me I had single-handedly killed a million people. (laughs) Rapturous applause. (laughs) Honestly, like, I, yeah, I'm glad that you... He goes on underneath to to talk about his pal Angus. He says, would also like to commend my six-foot-six pal Angus from resisting the temptation to not come out anyway. Whoever you were, I suggest you go see the tree and, assuming you can read, study the message, then have a nice day. So, yeah. Um, what a prank. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was very enjoyable. Um, I mean, because not only have you had the chance to have a go at Alistair Campbell, he's also called you a wannabe George Galloway. That's great. And it's just, I mean, it's all so good. It's a gift. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the perfect little package. Uh, it was it was quite fun. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, he gets it everywhere he goes. Yeah. Which uh, these people shouldn't be allowed to forget what nah, he did. Never, never forget. So yeah, and it was a little, little blast from the past. I say from the past, but people are constantly trying to rehabilitate him, rehabilitate Blair and so on, in the unmentionable Labour leadership election. Um, <laughs> uh, 
uh, Rebecca Long Bailey has now decided that he needs to come back into the party. What she actually said about him is so cringeworthy. She said, oh, you know, he's got so much experience. I wish we could have used that experience in December. Eh? What? He would have what? He spent all his time in the Labour Party trying to undermine the leadership. What the fuck? Uh, in recent years. So what the fuck are you talking about? But that's a, a separate bin fire that I hope we don't have to return to until uh, it finally concludes in the year fucking 2025. <laughs> We're all dead of coronavirus. <laughs> like, what will kill us first? Boredom over the Labour leadership. I've or got the this coronavirus. image in my mind of the end of Planet of the Apes, but instead of <laughs> the Statue of Liberty, Keir Starmer, Rebecca Long Bailey, and Lisa and Andy <laughs> on a shit podium warbling away about the need to fucking get Alistair Campbell back in the party. Uh, this is what happens when you have too many bloody lawyers in politics. So many lawyers. I am lawyers. so sick of it, right? Yeah. So the three of them, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. Mm-hmm. Nicola Sturgeon, lawyer. Was she really? Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Joanna Cherry, lawyer. Mm-hmm. Tony Blair, lawyer. Mm. Elizabeth Warren, lawyer. Yeah. Wall to bloody wall. <laughs> Lawyers. lawyers like that is a professional political class yeah. yeah that's what that is so you don't actually get political leaders who are normal people anymore you get political leaders who are trained as lawyers i think law degrees are presumably more important to the functioning of the that political caste than something like ppe is you know yeah. that's famously like yeah. the ruling class degree it's not yeah. i think it's law yeah Elizabeth Warren. Snake. Uh, she's finally slithered off. It makes me laugh now to go back and look at because there were a rain there were there's, there were tons of articles out months ago when people were trying to encourage Bernie Sanders not to stand in the primaries, right? Saying, look, he's too old. Elizabeth Warren, the, the torch is passing to Elizabeth Warren. Do you know how old she is? How old? Seventy. Yeah, so I mean, she's not a spring chicken. Aye, so the the torch has passed to a new generation, Elizabeth (laughs) Warren, right? Who has subsequently, after she dropped out because her run was going absolutely nowhere for a long time, um, she has so far refused to endorse either Biden or uh, Bernie Sanders. I mean, part of me was thinking. When she endorses Biden, I'm going to hate her guts and so forth. I actually kind of resent her more for not even having the guts to do that. Not even... I think it's awful that she's not endorsing Bernie. Yeah. But this whole thing, like the way that Bit of Judge, Clover Charlie, the way that they all dropped out to build support around Biden is, I think, now so obvious. Yeah, of course. And Elizabeth Warren did have some, you know, she had some redeeming characteristics at the start. Mm-hmm. But as the campaign went on, she really alienated a lot of people with that, oh, like that hashtag girly SWAT type behaviour. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just find her super cringe. And I think she's showing her true colours mm. by not endorsing Bernie. Absolutely. Um, I just, I, I mean, especially because people, it's already becoming clear what kind of administration Biden would run if he could ever possibly beat Trump. 
which... Biden <laughs> won't know he's running an administration, yeah. let's be honest. So, and the people he's already earmarked for positions, for leading positions, are a who's who of... Well, I mean, it's um, it's people like uh, Bloomberg, right? Mini Mike. So he's been earmarked for the World Bank. That's great. Um, and just like, like I say, a who's who of the banking world... Biden is famously very much part of that world of hedge funds and, mm. you know, uh, finance and, and so on. So there's absolutely no question whatsoever uh, about Elizabeth Warren cannot be a mediating influence on that or whatever. Like, it's been made totally clear. Also among these potential figures, a place has been reserved for Elizabeth Warren, right, uh, in the Treasury, if she should, should so want it. Now, will she go for that? I don't know. But, like, this idea of, like, well, she needs to preserve our credibility by not backing someone, Barney Sanders, who's very likely to lose. What fucking credibility has she got at the end of that? Like, zero. Mm. She's exposed herself as just a a run-of-the-mill, essentially an establishment Democrat who's trying to carve out a a niche slightly to the left of the centre of the party. Uh... Yeah. But I mean, her constituency are the same kind of people as uh, the kind of ultra-Romaniacs. It's the same people. It's like, the professional managerial class. Yeah, if you if you look at the class breakdown of the support, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's support is very, very different. Because there's the fundamental difference, right, is that one of those leaders understands and respects working class agency and one does not yeah and like bernie understands like that you can't just stand and say if you elect me i will be this sort of like generous i will give you this i will give you that his whole campaign is like join me like this is about us this is about having agency and having power Whereas the Elizabeth Warren, just like the ultra-Romaniacs, is all like they're looking for a benevolent politician to come up with smart policies mm-hmm. to help out the working class so they don't do dumb things like vote for Brexit or Trump. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. that's the two, that's the difference between the two mentalities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's very a kind of, uh, you know, two souls of socialism type thing. The, the two souls of modern left-wing politics are basically divided that way. Like, and you can see it even throughout the kind of coronavirus stuff. There are basically, there are basically people who think that the image of this crisis is a bunch of stock traders trying to cash in on everyone dying, right? And then there's people who think that the real image of this crisis is like... People who go on those cruises, <laughs> and they're like celebrating that these people have been trapped on a boat for two weeks, right? Because they're the real problem. The real problem is a, a, is an ignorant mass and it's an accumulation of. Uh, oh, are people ignorant like making f- making fun of like the Saga cruise people? Of course, yeah. Are they? Oh, I didn't know that. So, but it's but it's anything that can be latched onto that's an example of uh, this sort of heathen element in society that's, you know, arrogant and unpleasant and reactionary and all this kind of thing, um, who even where they do exist are just a byproduct mm. of much, you know, yeah. wider kind of forces. 
So I, uh, good riddance to her. Hello to Joe Biden, who cannot beat Trump because can't string a sentence together. <laughs> right. I, I'm already getting the real feel of that kind of buyer's remorse. I think, as is, let's be honest, quite likely, uh, if they manage to get rid of Bernie Sanders, then they'll really start to feel it. Because... I don't know. I think, like, really, if you're the damn establishment, you want, you want Biden. Right? You don't care. Because the damage that Trump will do in four more years is nothing compared to what Bernie will do. Could open up and in terms of Bernie And if Bernie wins... Yeah. If Bernie wins the nomination and he wins the presidency, the Democratic Party is changed forever. And mm. like the old guard like who hold power within this the establishment of the Democrats, they lose it. If they have four more years of Trump, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like people that I think are really like seeking out a way to hold on to their own power and they really don't give a shit if Trump is in charge for another four years. Yeah, yeah. Because he will make mincemeat out of Biden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely no question of it. Like, um, I mean, Trump himself might might not be the most compass mentis or the most eloquent. He can tell, well, maybe he can't. Tell the difference between his wife and his sister. Because <laughs> Biden cannot. That was great, man. So even at his moment of triumph, you know, when he clearly won Super Tuesday, uh, what I love about it is how delayed his reaction is. He turns to his right where his wife is and says, and here my raise my sister. Right? And then she's going, no, no. No, Joe, I'm your wife. My wonderful sister. And then he turns to his left and he goes... <laughs> so he's not registered any of that. And he's like, um, and here on my left, my my beautiful wife, and it's his sister. And it's just like, man, this is just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's cruel. Mm. I think it's cr- Joe Biden should be tucked up nice somewhere in a lovely retirement home somewhere in Florida. Is that not where they go in America? Like... The retirees. Well, he could he could be on one of those Saga cruises. No, but he should he should <laughs> be, be trapped on a Saga cruise. He'd uh, he uh, um so you know, but he should be enjoying his retirement. Uh, yeah, he should be enjoying like his mind melt. Mm, but you know, uh, instead he's being forced into this terrifying situation. He's been forced into the political arena where, I mean, everybody is laughing. Mm-hmm. I know. And Trump, I mean, it's how you want about Trump, but he will like make mincemeat of him in those debates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he will, he will tear him apart. So the highlight of my week has been um, going to the closing gala of the Glasgow Film Festival on Friday night. All right. Um, which sounds very chic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does indeed. Their um, closing film for the festival this year was the film adaptation of How to Build a Girl by Caitlin Moran. Mm-hmm. That book, which, I mean, I don't think you've read it, have you? No. Um, I read the How to Be a Woman, mm-hmm. um, maybe like when it came out. I can't remember when that was. I want to say like 2013. Um I it was okay at the time, like I didn't, it wasn't like massively 
bothered by it particularly either way like I think she's quite a good writer even if it's like a bit lazy sometimes mm-hmm. but some of her stuff's like quite funny this film was the worst film I have ever seen and I've seen a lot of shite films mm-hmm. but this is the story so it's a semi-autobiographical tale of a young plump teenage working class girl from Wolverhampton who goes on to become a writer for a music magazine which is Caitlin Moran's story um, but everything about this film was offensive Lee <laughs> mm-hmm. shit just genuinely I mean awful so firstly the, the American actress who's playing like Joanna Morgan which is like Caitlin Moran so that's her character an American actress doing a working class Wolverhampton accent mm-hmm. right? and it doesn't work like it's I mean she may be a great actress and other things I think she's in Booksmart that is a film I am never going to see mm-hmm. maybe she's in Lady Bird also a film I am never going to see maybe she's good in those types of films whatever accent was terrible like there is literally a bit where she's in a hospital bed being like hey mom <laughs> and like this is all over the place I don't know why like if Caitlin Moran is such a great champion of you know working class young women who want to get ahead then she didn't just cast a local actress yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway sometimes those things happen so the accent's all over the place then there's the script right which I mean I cringed so hard I think I've done internal damage mm. the whole thing made me medically unwell mm. There's bits in the script where she's like, the female character is going through this like big transformation and she's like, I'm a lady sex pirate. Like that kind of chat. <laughs> right? And it's like supposed to be funny. And then there's like some like jokes about sex and like you know, her first experience with sex, but they're all supposed to be funny. But I'm like, who is this for? Right? Because mm-hmm. it's not like... It's not genuinely funny. It's cringe humour. Mm. Like, genuinely, like, bad jokes. And, like, I think Caitlin Moran can be quite funny sometimes, but this is bad. And then there's a bit where the main character, Joanna Morgan, says, like, this bitch be paying rent. And I'm like, it's 1993. <laughs> Nobody spoke like that in 93 on a fucking housing estate in Wolverhampton. <laughs> no. Right? There's loads of like little bits that are like chron- yeah, yeah, chronologically just all over the shop. It's got bloody cameos from like Jamila Jamil, Queen Grifter. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like just fucking wall to wall con artistry going on, right? And then, spoiler alert, people. I am not recommending that you go see this film, so I don't really care if I'm dishing out spoilers. But there's this bit towards the end where it's like, kind of got happy ending, and like, Joanna Morgan's dancing down the street to some like boppy tune, and uh, then she turns to the camera and addresses the audience face on. She breaks the fourth wall, and the message is like, So, girls. Make sure you follow your dreams. Don't let anyone slam the door in your face. You know, be the real you. Mm. And I'm just like, this That's painful. is like I, I 
just can't. I mm. just can't, right? Maybe there were girls in that audience that, you know, were like, yeah, I'm amazing. Like, nobody has ever said that to me before. Um, which is, if that's true, that's a really sad indictment of yeah. society that yeah. you need that film. Like, so it's this kind of, like, coming-of-age tale, but with a feminist edge, and it is a complete con. It is a cash cow. Like, mm-hmm. It's like the pinnacle of that type of liberal feminism that has just become a massive industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, see if I was to sit down and write a, a book about, like, I don't know, f- feminism and finding myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you could rake that in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do have a really low-level work ethic and uh, integrity, so that will not be happening. <laughs> but seriously, you can make you can make mega bucks. Yeah. Some self-help, bit of feminism, and an inspirational message that says, "Hey, girls, go get your dream." Mm-hmm. I'm with her. Bitch, be paying rent. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you dollar signs in your eyes yeah and then afterwards there was a QA and a with Caitlin Moran which was honestly I mean uh, the smugness ripping out of her but I mean no wonder because she obviously gets paid a lot for the stuff that she does mm. um, huge amounts of money yeah. not that I'm the person to be saying like what value is placed on that but there was this bit where she was like you know, this film deals with some really taboo subjects and it was amazing because it was an all-female cast and it meant that, you know, we could just, like, sit down and be like, yeah, and we're just having our tea and then talking about periods. I'm like, (laughs) get me the fuck out of here. Like, I actually think I'm going to have some sort of, like, panic attack. This is so cringe. And, like, her final message to the audience was like, tell your story, take up space, tell your story, girls. And it was all, all of them were like, happy International Women's Day, happy International Women's Day, happy. And I was like, I can't take this anymore. Mm. I forgot to say to you, happy International Women's Day. (laughs) (laughs) How was it for you? The same as every other day. Mm. I feel sort of like crushed by my own inertia and uselessness Mm. under, you know coronavirus and capitalism yeah uh, no it sounds truly awful mm. but when, when does the spell of this stuff wear off the spell of liberal feminism mm. I, I don't know I thought it had peaked yeah. I, I thought it had I thought it had peaked I've been thinking gone. That stuff like, uh, for years no. I've been thinking that about all kinds of things no it's I mean it's really bedded in because my attitude used to be like I think when I first read like Caitlin Moran book, my first attitude to it was like, oh, this is like a gateway drug, right? Mm-hmm. So people, women could read this and then like, oh, there's a, a way to get into politics and that's kind of, that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, no, this is pure ideology. This is like feminism emblazoned on the side of mugs. Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is vote for Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. If you're a dem, you know, because she's a woman and that's the only thing that matters. This has gone really far and it's really deeply embedded in our culture and it is (laughs) utterly, utterly damaging and toxic. Hmm. It's interesting. Sounds like a great time. I love it. It is a really great time to be alive. (laughs) 
So there's a new documentary about Hell Dog mm. um, on Hulu, and Bill Clinton is in it. I mean, sidebar: he will not survive coronavirus. But um, <laughs> what he, is Hulu? Hulu, it's like an American type of Netflix thing. Okay. It's a streaming platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what that is? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I have a Netflix. It's on the Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so in this new documentary about Hell Dog, which is obviously like a nice puff piece, um, Bill's, Bill talks about his affair with Monica. Mm. And do you know what he says? He says he had oral sex with Monica Lewinsky to manage my anxieties. <laughs> That's, I had heard that. Isn't that great though? Like, oh. isn't that again? Isn't that just what you would say in twenty twenty? But he's a, he apologizes to Lewinsky in the documentary mm-hmm. and says that he feels terrible. The affair defined their life, but you know it was to manage his anxieties, wasn't it? Well, yeah, you know. I mean, the Monica Lewinsky scandal is like. I mean. He might not have got away with that, but he got away with a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. Like, he is actually a very, very dangerous individual. Quite a clever move, in a way, to to talk about that case in particular and to kind of refocus it onto... Because for many years, I thought that he was just the president who marred his presidency with an affair. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, you know, maybe quite smart for him to say, yes, I am the man who got one thing wrong. You know what I mean? Who made a mistake um, in a bid to cover up the other ones. Is this also the film, by the way, where um, Hillary Clinton talks about Barry Sanders and she, she goes, uh, she goes, no one likes him. He couldn't work with politicians across the island. No one likes him. And uh, she's, she gets really exasperated. I'm pretty sure I've seen a clip from it where she's raving like that. I don't know, I haven't seen that. I mean, but Trump has been very kind to old Bernie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed this Trump tweet about Warren uh, dropping out. So he says, Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren, other than Minnie Mike, was the loser of the night. <laughs> she didn't even come close to winning her home state of Massachusetts. Well, now she can just sit in the back with her husband and have a nice cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> Trump has a great time when it's just him and Twitter. You know what I mean? I mean, he must really enjoy that. I, yeah, like I said at the start, I am genuinely really missing Twitter. Mm. More so because I have made, dear listeners, the most amazing piece of art, which is David's face <laughs> superimposed on Nicholas Sturgeon's selfie with Alistair Campbell. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. I think it's I think it's a masterpiece. I get a fright every time I see it. What is it they say on like podcasts like like share subscribe or maybe it's yeah. that YouTube something like that. I don't know, but please like like the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> subscribe to SoundCloud or other listening platforms. Listening so it's platforms. available on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. I don't know. You're listening. Leave us some stars. Yeah. We currently have about like seventeen reviews. And like a lot of them are five stars, but some cunt left is three. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, see you after the plague. <laughs>